Welcome to part two of the unspoken, unsung interview of Bill Garcia. Part one concluded with Bill's Vietnam experience. Going out to this place in the jungle, there was going to be a big operation because they saw a lot of NVA out there. And that's where we were headed. So we had to cut through the city to get out there. So in going through the city, uh, we got hit right away with RPGs and machine gun fire and all that. Mm. So that was my first big deal. We were there for three days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm. So, and I was very fortunate. Everybody on my track, by that time, I was, I was, I was a radio man on our track. Uh, so I was assigned to the lieutenant who was in charge of our, our unit, our platoon. And everybody got wounded but me. Really? Yeah. We got hit this way, this way, shrapnel this way, this way. Even the freaking dog got hit <laughs> a little bit. Bill Garcia's tour of duty in Vietnam had just begun. Well, um, after that was over, we went to a big base camp for a few days. And I was on guard, I remember, and I had to lay guard around 2 a.m. or something, and I just came to the reality. And I think every soldier does that's in the field at one point in time, that's actually seen combat and know they're gonna see more or already had been in or whatever, come to this kind of uh, reality check. So I remember for me, I was going, this is crazy, man. I was playing music with all these bands like six, eight months ago or something. This, and now I'm here, I was like, this is not right, it's not fair, mm -hmm. why me? Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. And I literally kind of had a deal with all that stuff right there. And um, so I had a couple of options. I could either become a druggie mm -hmm. or I could just hang out and try to do as least as possible and not be, you know, just try to keep to myself. Or I could become what I call, you know, just become a soldier and just do what you needed to do and get out. Mm -hmm. And that's the path I took. It was the late 60s. Bill's music career was skyrocketing, his band recording, touring with Jim Morrison and the Doors, opening for other major artists such as Sonny and Cher. He got drafted. In Vietnam, Garcia's armored recon unit's job was, as Bill said, to go find trouble and call for help. Bill was decorated multiple times for valor, but declined the Silver Star, which was offered on the condition that he extend his combat tour in Vietnam for an additional year. Bill came home. His adventures were far from over. Part two begins with Bill's homecoming. What was homecoming like? Wow. It's very, uh, it's as quick as it is when you finally leave to go to basic training and for sure when you leave to go to a combat area like Vietnam. But it's different in the sense you're coming back out of something that's so, what's the word, intense, so nerve-wracking, so high-strung into everyday American life again. Mm, yeah. And you don't talk to anybody. I mean, you, they don't have like, look, we're going to give you guys a class on getting you back in with civilization, you know, so to mm -hmm. speak. There was none of that. So you just come back. And so I came back and my girlfriend who lived up north, uh, I stayed at her house and slept for two days, I think. And um, just started to come around and walk around and you're kind of in a daze, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I came home to San Diego and I remember a friend took me to, uh, to a um, restaurant 
And I just couldn't stand to be in the restaurant with all the lights on at nighttime and everything. It just freaked mm. me out, you know? So because things like that. Because in Vietnam, that would have made you just a oh, standout Oh, yeah, it would never. You're in the darkness most of the time at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. real dark. <laughs> so, so it was like that. So it's, it's an adjustment that we all know about nowadays with all the soldiers through the years, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a PTSD symptom then? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I tried to play guitar with my brother and got so upset I couldn't do something. My brother just freaked out and said, man, you're too intense. I'm leaving. <laughs> it's just trying to play a chord on the guitar. That's all it is. <laughs> and I'm already ready to break the guitar in half. <laughs> yeah, it was a little stressed. Now, for me, that was <laughs> okay, but, you know, not, not in the normal sense of the word. It was like, you need to see somebody, buddy. So you were you were looking to to resurrect the music career. Yeah, I I just kind of put Vietnam as much as I could behind me, and uh, didn't talk about it or anything. And I started playing music, and then uh, got in this really really great band called Popcorn Eric and the Rhythm Rockers. <laughs> 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 For those who don't know, that would have been my band. <laughs> <laughs> who let me? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> who let me? Because my the group that I was in, they were playing at this club, and they had been playing through the whole you know two years, or year that I was gone, year and so many months, or whatever. That's what I forget to put in there my training. Anyway, for that length of time, they had kept playing, and so luckily you guys let me. Play a little Let bit so you. I can learn to play the guitar again. <laughs> so were they still playing the same manager, the whole thing, and did they have a record deal? Or? No, they didn't have any of that stuff, and it's really a, a testament to, you know, you have a moment in time and you either take it or not. Mm -hmm. Because we, at that time when we were doing the records, we really had a moment in time. We were playing with all the big groups. We were going to get signed by A&M Records, Herb Albert and Jerry Moss had just started their company that became huge. We were going to be one of the first people signed with them. We were using their A&R person. So we were in in the scene, so to mm -hmm, speak. Mm -hmm. um, but when I came back, they, they didn't have that. They weren't being managed. They were just playing gigs in town. And, uh, you know, that, that whole string of whatever we were doing broke and You'd have to rebuild it again if you could. Yeah. And times change. You know, things were different. Well, I will never forget the band that you ended up putting together. Uh, the band was called Jaga. Jaga, yeah. And that was one of the most powerful bands I have ever heard. I mean, the, the <laughs> rhythm section you guys had, the guitar work you did was just stunning. Um, what happened with Jaga? Well, Jaga, first of all, the name Jaga came from a uh, girlfriend's brother who, you know how you grow up as a kid or something, or I don't know if everybody does it, you have a, an imaginary friend you can play with, yeah. you know? <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> That's what he meant Jaga to mean. His imaginary friend was Jaga. Uh. <laughs> and I thought that was the greatest name. I said, God, oh, God, I had an imaginary friend. <laughs> I have a bunch of imaginary friends. <laughs> I said, That's a great name. And so we had a kind of a, a great group that we thought was really good. We had some really good players. Uh, the other guitar player was absolutely great. And a uh, uh, drummer and, and my brother on bass and uh, the drummer, they had all been playing. So they, they I, I had to catch up, you know, and they were off the charts for that time. And uh, we had a six-piece band, I think it was, uh, and it was, I used to call it a cross between kind of salmon, uh, saw, um, the um, um, Santana, uh, Almond Brothers, and maybe Journey, something like that. Yeah. But it was a power group more than a singing group, although we did have voices, vocals. Yeah, it I was fun. I remember the duets you used to play. Guitar duets. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that was Almond Brothers stuff and yeah, everything, yeah. and stuff that we did on our own, too. Some songs. And were you and managed by the same manager? No, we never got together with that manager again. Because huh. my recollection was that you, you, of all the people I'd ever met, had the, the most 
business-oriented perspective on music. Uh, it was amazing to me. So well, you, that, you were kind of the the leader in the yeah, business. Yeah, I was leader of the both bands. It just so happened that way. And uh, Yeah, I, I, I had a vision of us doing well and maybe at some point in time producing or managing or doing something like that mm -hmm. as a more extended career. <laughs> but you set a target for yourself, didn't you? Yeah, I, when I came up for Vietnam, I gave myself two years to do something. And if if not that, then what? <laughs> <laughs> do something else. <laughs> okay. So the, the two years came and went. The two years came and I started to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that transition? Well, like? yeah, it was it was kind of crazy in a sense. Uh, I. Uh, Got into the car business. My manager used to sell cars, so he got me into the car business. And uh, uh, although he wasn't, we weren't doing anything with him, we still knew each other and we we're still friends. Mm -hmm. So I still stayed in touch. So he got me in there and I sold cars for a little bit. Didn't like that. But I had a next door neighbor who sold real estate. And he said, you should get into real estate instead of, you know, and he told me all the benefits. And I said, yeah, I think so. So I, I was studying while I was in the car business, and finally I left the car business and went into real estate. Mm -hmm. And then about two years after that, I got my old manager, partner, into real estate too. So you became brokers and started your own? We were both salespeople at, an, uh, at a, uh, a brokerage, and then there was a moment in time when we did really well it was an area of our territory that we live in that had over 2,000 houses, I get it, but nobody was building there, and we started to sell to those builders once the market hit. So we had what you get listings, properties to sell. Right. And we just and everybody that we called wanted to sell because they hadn't sold anything there in five years or so. So it was kind of a dead area. And so my partner and I just... Okay, we'll take it, you know. <laughs> really, it was kind of like that. And before we knew it, we had like 300 listings, and this was back in the 70s. And and then at the end of the year, I mean, first of all, other agents would literally laugh at us that we were spending time taking those listings from people in a place that the lenders wouldn't even lend mm. to buy a place there. Really? Yeah. And... um so um, we just did what we did and everything. And we had these maps on the walls. And there was a south side and a north side. And we had all little maps with little dots on them and who owned them and everything and that places. And we were really into it, right? And people would go in there and chuckle at what we were doing and laughing. And then at the end of the year, we did a transaction, our first transaction there. And um, we sold a... A con we traded a condo for a, a lot. You know, so one person took the lot, one person took the condo, and that went over to January, and then the market just hit. And then all of a sudden, nine out of ten calls in that office was ours. Wow. We were so busy, we had to hire people to help us do work, right? So then that we got this bright idea. Well, you know, I should be I should go to school because you need at least two years first before you can get your broker's license. Right. And he didn't have his that long yet, so I went to uh, school and got the broker's license. We tried to make a, a deal with our manager at there, see if we can get a better cut, and would not do it, you know. But we didn't, and so we opened up our own company. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up having three offices, and I don't know, maybe thirty, forty people. Wow. So that was, you were, you were doing great. We were doing really, really good. It was, now that's a whole different side of my life. I mean, coming from where I came from, and you know, it's like I couldn't even believe this was happening again. Now this is a good side, not believing what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. You know, I went to the bad side or the not so cool side of I couldn't believe what's happening. Yeah, so we were living the high life. I was driving a Mercedes. I was young. I uh, had just gotten married somewhat. Well, not just, but kind of been married a short, wait a minute, let me see. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was, God, my memory just kind of faltered there. And um, so we had this business going. We bought a house, a vacation home in Tahoe. We had houses being built, houses being rented. You know, just an investor's dream. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? And then one night, my partner and I was coming from San Diego from an appointment. We had this conversation. It didn't go well. <laughs> and within a week, two weeks maybe, I, I don't know how long. I was served papers from his attorney about our business, that he wanted to take over the business, hmm. which to totally surprised me, took me to surprise. And it's one of those things that happened. I wanted to make some changes in the company, and he thought I wanted to take over the company, and that was never going to happen, so... So he was much older than me and more knowledgeable about things. And I mean, I'm, st I'm still kind of naive, you know, and mm -hmm. how life works and <clears throat> business works and stuff. So anything, we ended up losing everything. Mm. All our houses, all our cars, all our boats, all our... <laughs> our wow. So it's one of those, yay, boo. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That had to be intense. Yeah, it was because I um, was left with the tax burden because I was a broker, and then the IRS couldn't figure out how much we owed, so they'd get back to me. So it took them ten years to get back to me, and by the time they got back to me ten years later, a tax repay of forty thousand dollars went to. 329,000 and some change. <laughs> wow. So you pretty much lost everything? Yeah. So a guy coming back from Vietnam showing mm -hmm. symptoms of PTSD mm -hmm. goes through an event like that. What kind of state of mind were you left in then? Uh, well, I just... Didn't know what to do for a while. So I just, for a while, I'm meaning probably three or four months. They, they, I went, we pretty much were going bankrupt. We had to turn in all our money. We lost all the houses because he wanted to, everything. He wanted, he thought he owned everything. So we had to liquidate everything. And at the time, we were liquidating everything. The interest rates had gone up to 19, 20, 21%. So the value of the property wasn't as much as some of the value that we had prior. So we basically just turned it over and turned it over and turned it over. It made nothing on the properties that we had and stuff. Uh, and then they went to pay other bills if we did have money, and the court took that, and the attorneys took that. and So... Um, I was just doing odd jobs. I just did odd jobs. Like they turned off my phone and I went down to the phone company, to the collectors who was doing the phone. And after I paid the bill, I got enough money to pay the bill. I asked them if they needed help and I got a job there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a collector for a while. But at least I could put food on the table and get gas in my car and stuff, which I still had. Not that car, the Mercedes by then. I had some other car, so... So I think, you know, it's one of those things people go through, you know, that, you know, all of a sudden you're flying real high and then the bottom falls out. And when they say the bottom falls out, it does. It's not there anymore. So I just floundered around a little bit. And then I had an ex-girlfriend who was doing quite well in her career and she was going to move to Minneapolis. And we stayed in touch. And um, we were together for a while and then we had broken up, but we still stayed in touch. And she called me and she says, you know... Uh, they're asking me to move to Minneapolis for the job because she's doing really well in her job. And and I said, well, if you don't go now, they're not going to ask you again. They asked you last year, too, so you better take it. This is a corporate thing, you know, and that's where the corporate headquarters is. So she did. She took the job, and she was going to go in. And then I asked her, I said, hey, can I tag along? Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, you can tag along for three months, hang out, 
get a job, do whatever you need to do, but at the end of three months, you're out of there. I said, that's the deal. So that's what happened. I needed to get out of town, so to speak, and get my head together. And Well, speaking of getting your head together, I mean, um, didn't you have an episode where you were really like on the edge of just saying, do I want to live or not? Didn't it get oh, that intense? Oh, that was, yeah, when that was right at the time we were losing everything. Yeah. Mm. Boy, you have a better memory than I do, Dan. Um, things weren't going well with the girlfriend. Things weren't going well with losing all of our stuff. Yeah, it was in the middle of that. And I just remembered I felt detached, desolate, just who cares? What's the big deal about it anyway? And I really had this thought. This is it. I've had a great life so far. I've managed to do this. We managed to do that. Screw it. So I drove my car up <laughs> to Palomar Mountain. And I had this idea. I should just go off a cliff. I mean, it was really true for me for a while. Mm -hmm. um, for a while, meaning that day. <laughs> right? yeah, I don't yeah. really have those thoughts. But <laughs> for that day, I really was so in a place. You know, you get in these different places in your life maybe at times and time. So I'm driving up the hill going to Palomar Mountain. And as I'm going up there, thinking in my head, how am I going to do this? Do I have the guts to do this? Are you really going to do this? You know, I'm going through my head. I, I see this car coming down the road. There's a car kind of in front of me, but uh, way ahead. And this truck, this cement truck or something like that, is coming down the other way, and both of us have to swerve off the road so we don't get hit. And I swerve off the road, and the, the truck comes by down, boom. And all of a sudden, I start hilariously laughing. Because that was my chance. If I ever wanted a chance, I thought, oh, my God, you just blew your chance, buddy. I mean... <laughs> No, you know, that guy surely wasn't going to get hurt. So, you know, you're you're good to go, right? And I just started laughing. And then, you know, I just had this little moment for myself. And I just was going, what are you thinking? And then I turned my head. And up on the hill on the ridge was uh, two deer. Um, definitely a, um, like a mom and a little calf mm -hmm, deer, mm -hmm. whatever you call them, buck. Or, I mean, the little ones. And they were just looking at me like, boy, those stupid humans. They just can't get it together, can they? <laughs> and that moment I just went, that was a crazy thing to do. I'm going home. So I went and got a turnout there and drove down the hill and went home and just went on with my life. That sounds like almost kind of an epiphany. I think that it was, Dano. I think... Um, you know, at different times, whether it be in a stressful time in Vietnam or just a time here where things happen to people or other mm -hmm. could happen to your friend, but you're impacted or happen to you and you're impacted. It definitely was a moment in time for me to say, look, at, you've done other things. You just got through all this other stuff a while back. You can get through this. Just see what's, how it's going to yeah. turn out. Discovered a new level of strength. Yeah. Yeah. So, went to Minnesota, mm -hmm. three months. Mm -hmm. What were you doing in Minnesota? I got a job really quick as a headhunter, placing people in jobs, you know, for business people. Mm -hmm. Got one placement. You get commission only there, but I wanted a job where I got a paycheck every week, you know, and Saturday and Sunday's off. So, I applied. I, in the meantime, I had applied to a job for this company called MCI Communications. Mm -hmm. And I got, uh, they called me. Uh, they called me through my girlfriend's phone to call me. Who <laughs> 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 got a hold of me? And um, uh, I got the job. So I, I it was re <laughs> really in between there. I have to admit it, it was a little tough because we got there in winter time. Oh, I had no yeah. clothes for. I had no car. I had no. You know, thank God the transportation is good in Minnesota and stuff like that. I also had another epiphany, epiphany in Minnesota, too, you know, because uh, it was a short time in between where I had no place to stay other than at some people's front porches. Mm -hmm. 
So um, that was a reality too. There's another reality check going, but you're being tested, you know. <laughs> How much of this do you want to yeah. take, you know? Yeah. So luckily I got that MCI job and then luckily I did well there and became a supervisor and a manager. And then, no kidding, they transferred me to Irvine, California. Perfect. <laughs> and then I did well there and they sent me to open an office in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> so within you know, a couple of years I had <laughs> moved back home and then right to San Diego. Oh, great. Yeah, so that turned out. So. You you got back into real estate. Mm -hmm. What had you choose to do that? Probably, a, well, there was a couple of things. Uh, I I didn't finish college, and I n knew I wasn't in the mood to try to go and get a degree in something. Plus, I didn't know what I would try to get a degree in, and go through all that, and. Uh, I knew that, and I had experience that if I maybe put some more effort into real estate again, you can make a good living. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, and it would suit me and I wouldn't have to have all this ramp up time doing something else for not as much money, really. So I just jumped back into real estate again. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, kind of, let's see, so that was in the, 80s kind of did okay got by in real estate you know okay and then somebody called me that knew me and wanted me to open and manage manage their real estate company that they, they had just opened mm -hmm. but they weren't real estate people they were lenders so i uh, ran the company for them and we had this agreement and and then um of course, when it comes time to renegotiate the agreement at the time, it kind of changed a little bit. Yeah. So, but then the market crashed a little bit in the 90s, early 90s, 91, 92, in there. So um, I thought, well, that job ended because I couldn't work for them anymore. Or wouldn't work. I go back. I went back to become a salesperson for a while, but in between time, I was trying to find another job. Mm -hmm. Five days a week, give me weekend off and give me a bonus if I do well which I ended up finding <laughs> in Irvine, California, uh, in the ophthalmology field. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's how I ended up moving from, you know, here over there to there. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we did is we sold uh, equip equipment for uh, ophthalmologists who do sur surgeries, cataract surgeries and that, sold mm -hmm. them used equipment, prior owned equipment. So I was still in the sales business. I was mm -hmm. always in the sales business, it seems yeah. like. And that turned out to be pretty well. I get to work five days a week. I got to travel a little bit, went to different places in the United States and out of the country, and have my Saturdays and Sundays off. And if I hit a certain level, I got a bonus. Perfect. <laughs> so I was Perfect. happy. <laughs> well, there was another piece of good news that happened for you in the 90s. Yeah. It's a young woman. Yeah. Tell me about this young woman. Well, um, I was in, I w had not dated for a while. And then I had dated for, not consistently. I dated and then I didn't date and I didn't date, but I hadn't been with somebody for a long time. My wife and I had gotten a divorce in 78 and I had never remarried and just did all that. So um, I decided I wanted a partner again and say, you know, and maybe, maybe get married, but have a partner. And so uh, I, I uh, kind of was in this organization that trains people f for uh, uh, human development. Mm -hmm. So I was doing classes there and I just put it out there that I was looking, you know, so, uh, you know, all your good friends and try to hook you up with people, you know, so I kind of went through that a little bit. But then I had one friend who said, there's some gal in, in San Diego that says she knows you. And she lives in Carlsbad and she'd like to meet you. And so she was with this organization I was with. And we went to a training in Los Angeles. I was there for one type of training. She was there for a different type of training. And we met in the lobby somewhere. And she said, oh, hello, how are you? And everything. She said, my name is so-and-so and Terry and... 
you know, we met at so-and-so and we never did. She told a whole <laughs> lot. She finally copped to it. She said, no, I made it all up. <laughs> so I didn't call her back because I, there happened to be two other women that I was kind of interested in, in Irvine. I got the names mixed up one time and called her and everything and thought it was somebody else. And I went, oh my God. I, and so her friend said, "You don't be a jerk. You should go and call this woman. She's really great, and she, you guys would be a great partnership. Now get off it and go do that." So I did. I called her, and then we met, and uh, and had uh, a dinner. And then uh, I had to go to town for my company for a week, and then I came back. And like, you know, any jerky guy at the time, you know, I said I would call her and I didn't until I got back. So she didn't know because she was inviting me to a Pink Floyd concert. Mm -hmm. So I got back and I called her. Hey, it's me. <laughs> Can we still go to Pink Floyd? She said, oh, boy, you just cut it really thin here, big boy. So, um, yeah, we went and after, that was it after that. It's been 24 years now. <laughs> wow. It was an amazing, and we've had an amazing life together, and you know, for things that happen in your life and everything, it all can turn out. If you think Bill Garcia's story is done, you'd better keep your seatbelt buckled. But let's fast forward a little bit. Just after they got married, Bill and Terry moved to North Carolina, where a big career opportunity had opened up for Terry and Bill would open a new territory for the company he was working with. They bought a beautiful lakeside home and life was sweet until, all in one week, both companies folded. Bill and Terry decided to come home to be near family. Bill and Terry began working in new jobs and giving seminars that explore human potential. As we pick up the story, both Bill and Terry had been recruited by different area real estate companies, but soon joined forces working for the same brokerage. They were enjoying success as partners in life and in business. And then something unexpected happened. Well, you had another little twist in your relationship when you got a phone call from someone who informed you, as I recall, that <laughs> you were related. Boy. So, I I have I usually start yeah God what can I how can I say this so um, I was in this class because I, I do a lot of seminars as you could probably tell yes and I was in this seminar that I had kind of done before I was reviewing it right right and they said what do you want to get out of the seminar why are you doing this seminar. You know, and, and before I said, because I want X, I want this, and I want this, and that, and believe it or not, most of those things all came true, okay? But this one, I didn't know what to say, then it came to me, and I said, I want something that knocks my socks off. I want something that was not going to happen before. I want something that's so surprising, you just go, oh my God, this is amazing, Right? So, I'm in this course. No kidding, I'm in this course during this time. And Terry and I are working our real estate. I only do that class once a week, so it's not a big deal. Three hours, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, we're working in our, we have an office, and we have two phones in the office. So, she gets on the phone. I'm already on the phone. The phone rings. She takes the phone call. And the phone call goes something like this. Hello. And she says, is, is this Bill or Terry? This is Terry. Well, my name is X, and Bill knew my mother so-and-so a long time ago, and I think we're related. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry turns to me right away and tells me to get off the phone. You know, she's signaling me, get off the phone. And I'm saying, well, I'm, you know, talking. She says, get off the phone. Like, really, now? So I get off the phone, right? <laughs> And she puts the, the phone on hold because we had a hold button. She, and she says, I think you got a call from your son. Now, I had a son out of wedlock. 
that we had arranged, and the mother took it over and married her uh, ex-boyfriend, and they took very good care of it, and we, it was amenable, everything. But uh, so I had told Terry about that, so she knew about it, and she's all excited. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. Like, you know, all these thoughts go through your head about what's happening, you know? I mean, what's I don't know. It's, you have to be in that experience. I to can get, imagine. You know, like, oh, no, my God. I can't imagine. Yeah. It's, it's, so uh, to make a long story short, though, we, it turns out uh, we were trying to meet as soon as possible, and we couldn't get together for about two weeks. It, we were going somewhere. They were going somewhere. They were doing it. Turns out it lived in San Francisco. They, him and his wife worked together, and they have a, a successful business they've been doing for many years. And it just seemed like a great guy, just talking to him over the phone and her. She was really great. So finally we found three days, and we flew up to San Francisco to meet him. And it just turned out just like that. It was just perfect. And... um it was very easy, very thing. And Terry had talked to people about this kind of a situation because it doesn't always turn out very great, you know? I can imagine that, too. So um, she was talking to people, and people say, well, just try to find out what they have in common, like what, how you do this or do that, or do you do this or do that, and it helps break the ice. And So Terry <laughs> asked him, what kind of Starbucks do you do you take, right? <laughs> and we're thinking, you know, he'll get a latte or I get, you know, this or I get, you know, a skinny vanilla, you know, coffee or whatever it is, right? Just an easy thing at Starbucks. He goes, no, I get a soy chai, extra hot, no foam, uh, grande. <laughs> now, that's kind of pretty specific and pretty, you know, categorized. The exact drink that I drink at Starbucks. Really? A soy chai latte, extra hot, no foam, grande. Wow. And both Terry and I almost fell off our chairs. <laughs> really. So at that point, I could tell, all right, it surely was in more, <laughs> knew he was my son, you know? We would sit in the same, like at the table, we would sit on our arm the same or on our hands uh -huh. with our head against our hands like this. Yes. Exactly the same. We talk, say some phrases the same. It was really great. And since then, we've hung out as much as we can because he does have a mom and dad, and she and her parents happen to live in the next town or a couple towns next to us in Carlsbad. So it turns out we get to see them at least every year, sometimes twice a year, oh, something that's like that. fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds like life just got near perfect. But you got some news recently. I think life is perfect and things happen. Mm -hmm. So I view my Vietnam experience, my real estate experience, the ups and downs and everything as parts of life that are, God, how can you say this? It's kind of like that's what's happening in your life at the time. Yes. So... That's what you're dealing with, right? And then reflection, you can maybe look at it and say, oh my God, I barely lived through that. Or you can say, God, that was the best time of my life. Yes. But ha given what's happening at that time, that's what's happening. So that's perfect life, right? So, um, but now Terry and I are waiting for the golden years, right? Mm -hmm. And we've been working and, and, aiming towards the time where we don't have to work as much. And I don't work as much. I, I just help Terry out mostly now. And she's our hard worker, but she, you know, we do mostly um, referrals from other people and stuff like that. We don't have to grind it out so much, so to speak, you know, like a new person would have to and make contact and do that. And we're looking forward to even diminishing that a little bit so that we can spend more time together and maybe go and travel a little more and everything too. So one of the things that we did about almost five years ago now is we decided we wanted to work out with a trainer. And we've always been healthy and hiked and everything. So we put some money aside and we quit doing something so we can pay for it because it does cost <laughs> a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we thought it would be useful because I wanted to be healthy because I'm 12 years older than Terry. 
And I wanted, you know, one of the things you want to do is be able to breathe and walk and run and be able to go, yeah. especially if you're going on trips and stuff. You just want to be healthy, right? Right. So we started doing that and uh, three days a week. And in three days, for four and a half years, we've only canceled twice out of emergencies. So mm. we're always there at 745 in our driveway working out, right? Mm -hmm. So that was really good. But then in the middle of that, what happened was I was noticing that my leg was starting to act weird, my right leg. And so then I have a bad back too. So <laughs> I was going to the chiropractor and I talked to my chiropractor too about it. And uh, I couldn't cant it in like from right to left, my mm -hmm. right leg. And it was shaking a little bit. She said, you have to go check that out right away. So as it turns out, uh, after quite an investigative process, it turns out that I have Parkinson's. And that's what was slowing me down, playing the guitar, slowing me down, working out a little mm, bit, mm. making things hard a little. I didn't know because it's a gradual progression. Yeah. So I've probably had it longer than I, from the time where I say I really got diagnosed with it, which is... Uh, October, October of 17. And they said I probably had had it at least eight months to a year prior to that. So, um, so here we are. And what's great about my wife is she's such a support and she so says, hey, there's nothing to worry about. We got this, you know, no matter what's going to happen, we got this. Mm. So that's... That's my partner. Yeah. Yeah, she's just 100%. And so we dove into it to find out what I need to do and everything. Turns out one of the major things you can do is keep moving, body movement, uh, muscle movement. And around the United States, and especially in San Diego, they have what they call this rock steady boxing. Mm -hmm. That's just for people with Parkinson's. And the trainers are very, very good. So I joined that along with my other. So my job now is <laughs> it's like I go to work. I go to work out on Mondays. I go to work on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Friday. My job is to work out and keep my body moving, oh, <laughs> you know? Great. So that's what we do, you know? And so far I've been pretty lucky. It's, 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 it's not as uh, uh, restrictive as some others yet. I'm, I'm kind of in the first phase and and there's a huge possibility, like a real possibility of maintaining it where I have, where I'm at right now, or not letting it progress anymore. Or if if it does, it'll be a slower progress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I'm what I'm shooting for. Yeah. And that maybe four or five years they'll have a cure. You know. Yeah. Well, you're a fighter. Well, Michael J. Fox has been doing it since he was 29. Yeah, so that's true. That's and amazing. Yeah. And you know, you don't, you know, in, especially in our life, I think in the USA, is uh, you don't really get into something until you need to get into it. Yes. Or you want to get into it, you know? So you don't, you know, I, you always hear people, God, have this ailment, and you go, God, how unfortunate, you know, but it's not affecting you, you know? So you can't, you don't jump into their world. And if you try to jump into the world, the best you can do is listen to their stories and, kind of mapping on yourself or something, mm -hmm. but it's not the experience, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you get the experience, I think one of these things that, uh, like an epiphany I had about this just recently with Terry was, uh, we were sitting watching TV and I just went, wow. You know, I've been handling this thing like, you know, you get the cold, you get a cold, you take your medicine and you get over it and then it's done. Yes. Or you break your arm or something, you do the repair for nine months or six months or whatever, and then it's done, you got your arm back and everything. I've been dealing with this like that. Like, oh, by December, it's all going to be fine. I'm going to be able to move my legs and my arms right way. I'm going to walk right and everything, you know. But I had to get, no, this is like a forever thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the type of transition that this disease has, too, because it's degenerative. So um, 
other people have it. I mean, millions of people are have ailments in the world, you know, mm. and it's, I don't think it's the ailment in itself. I think it's how you have to deal with it. I imagine that must make a lot of high days and a lot of low days. Mostly, you know, Dano, mostly I'm just grateful at this point. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's kind of like a bugaboo, but it's what I got, you know, and the more I get this is what I got, the easier it is. It's just like, I do what I do now, yeah. you know. <laughs> and but my life is still great. My 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 life with Terry is great. Our our real estate company, our job is great. So I have no um, reason to think, or reason to be poor me about anything. Yeah. And there's people that are much much much. Just going to my class. And seeing the different people in there and the level of Parkinson's that they have, as an example, I have no right to say anything, believe me. And mm. they're in there working out much, much worse than I am. Yeah. So, yeah, you get, you know, like, I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, it's just wonderful all the time. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Because you go to sleep thinking how it's going to be in the morning. Am I still going to be able to do this, do that, move this, move that, and everything? That kind of fleeting thought, you know? But so far, so good. One last question. Let's make this kind of a thought experiment. So you're the guy in Vietnam, the young man that has gone, wait a minute, six, eight months ago, I was playing rock and roll. I was touring with the Doors, whatever. Where the hell am I now and what's ahead? And now you're also you right here, right now. Bill Garcia now, if there was anything that you could say to that young man in Vietnam about life ahead, what would you say? I would say, um, first of all, you're stronger than you thought you were. Physically and mentally. And that decisions that you're, the decisions that you're going to make regarding the events of your life can be long-lasting, the whole life long, or they can be changed, maybe, if those are the kind of decisions. That you do have choices. But I think the strong thing about your choices is that you be responsible for your choices. I could have went to Canada. Yeah. That would be a choice, and that'd be a different whole responsibility, right? The, staying there may have been the stupidest thing I ever did, but it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me, mm -hmm. having that experience and the humanity that I got out of that. Mm. So I think at any point in time in anyone's life, you can take stock of what there is to be grateful for. You know, uh, I'm not like a religious guy or anything like that, you know. Although I was brought up Catholic, that left me a long time ago. <laughs> not, I just did that. I don't know. But the point is, I for yourself, you can, you can have your own standards and your integrity for yourself of what you're creating, what you're doing, and being responsible for it. And I think when you're being responsible for it in a way like, oh, I put myself here, this is what happened, or I did that. I was here, I'm part of this. It relieves all the other lies that you say to yourself mm -hmm. from time to time. You know, I know I would lie to myself to get through situations all the time, it seemed like when I was younger, you know. I never did that, I wasn't there, <laughs> you know. He did it, you know, those kind of things. But I think we just kind of grow out of that eventually too. Mm -hmm. And there's different levels of it through life. I'm in my 70s now, so I can speak about that a little <laughs> bit, I think. Anyway, and uh, so that's what I would say to him. Just, just be true to yourself, and when you find yourself maybe in a dark place or maybe like I had lots of times where it was not looking good for me, you know, that if you can just pull yourself together and say, I can get through this, 
you know that just do it logo is actually right. Yes. That's all there is to do is just do it. Yeah. Just stand up on your feet and get a job. You know, just be the soldier. Just do what you need to do to real estate. We were doing everything in real estate that nobody wanted to do. And then for six months, and we took all of the harassment about it and everything, and then all of a sudden the market hit, and we have over 300 listings. <laughs> I mean, yeah, come yeah. On. You know what I mean? That it'll turn out or something will happen if you stay true to yourself, I think. Uh, well, thank you. But I got to say, you're one of the people I most admire mm. in the world, and I, I just consider it a high honor to call you my friend and also that you came to share your life with us here today. So thank you. Oh, Dan, thank you very much. We've been friends forever. <laughs> All right. There you have it, episode one of Unspoken Unsung. Bill and Terry Garcia are two of the happiest people I know. I came out of that conversation with Bill Garcia renewed with Bill's infectious sense of gratitude and unstoppable determination. I hope you did too. If there's someone in your life whose story inspires you, let us know. Unspoken Unsung is here to tell stories that inspire Share the lessons offered in lives whose stories all too often go unspoken, unsung. Drop us a line at the Conversator contact page if you know someone who might be willing to share their story. Tell us what inspires you about this person. Unspoken Unsung was recorded in the Conversator studio of Carlsbad, California. Martin Danner and Ken Langen engineered the recording. Post-production engineer was Ken Langen. The show's host and producer was Dan Danner. The podcast theme song, Hope Not Hate, was written and performed by David Gwynne Jones. Other songs, Sleek and Nomads, were written and performed by Alan McKinney. Single Malt, written and performed by Nick Rhodes and Danny Pelfrey, all on the Zapsplat website. <laughs>